0: What is up everyone? Hello my friends. I am Charlie Shrem and you are listening and watching Untold Stories where twice a week you get to come on this magical journey that I call Untold Stories. And we get to talk to some of the coolest people and because crypto shouldn't be complicated and sometimes it is, but at the end of the day, if we take time and dissect some of these and un- unpack some of these ideas and concepts, we can have a better understanding uh, of a lot of these different things uh, that uh, really act as puzzle pieces within our whole industry. And if we can understand them better than our friends, we can trade off of those things, which is one of the reasons um, I'm having my good friend, Bill Noble, on the show today. Bill, thank you so much for coming uh, on, on the show. We've known each other for, for a few years now. And we last time, like you said, you were saying earlier, last time we talked, Bitcoin was at $4,000. Now you are the chief technical analyst at Token Metrics, where you provide advice, content, business strategy for all across their educational networks. You are a, a former financial market thought leader at Goldman Sachs from 2004 to 2016. And we had the opportunity to work together at Crypto IQ for a year, just kind of like figure during the crazy bull run of 2017. And it was a lot of the the... The concepts and ideas about trading you taught me and you were able to like, I think for the first time, especially when you got on stage in Las Vegas, uh, I think it was in 2018 or 2019, and yeah, and, and you gave a talk. And I think I finally, for the first time, you took a history of money and markets and you applied it to the, at the time like an eight or nine year old, you know, crypto market. And I actually finally was able to like over, not overshadow, but, um, place what's going on in the early immature crypto markets to like the early days of, of when uh, high frequency trading came out and all these different things. And that was a lot of fun. Thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories today.
1: Charlie, thanks for having me. Uh, It's a pleasure to be here. It really is
0: yeah we're going to have a lot of fun, too. and And it's like it's so great that we're now talking at a time when I think Bitcoin and the whole crypto market, right, went through its first real major twenty or thirty percent dip when we you know when Bitcoin hit sixty k and I think we broke like a trillion dollar market cap. it was like a crazy correction down to the mid. 40,000, I don't like to talk about price, but I'm just trying to bring it into perspective. But from like 20 or 30 K to like 60 K, there was no real correction. And this was the first time where all those friends who were calling me the last six months about getting into crypto, whatever crypto they were getting into, they were like calling me up really, 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 really nervous. And then we kind of range bounce for a while. And now we're at the next level and everyone's really excited. From like, Bill, from like an institutional side, was that correction something that you were saying, yes, we kind of needed that. It was almost like a relief for you a little bit. Okay,
1: you know what? That's a great way to put it. Uh, Our group had like 57 to 58K as as a level where like leveraged trading players would probably take profits. And now with Bitcoin corrections, there's a new game in town, right? You know, in the past, when Bitcoin would correct, it would like go straight down. Whales would sell. Retailers, retail would panic. And there'd be this like vortex lower where it looked like it was going to go to zero. Yeah. Now, the nature of corrections have changed. They're almost kind of like in equities 10 years ago. Yeah, it goes down, but it's not a vortex. And the reason for that is very simple. Market makers, institutional guys who have to sell to these behemoths like Sailor, they take any opportunity, like, for example, a sharp increase in U.S. interest rates, to actually push Bitcoin lower to try to get everyone to sell so they can scoop it up so that when Sailor and all these institutions come in, they've got Bitcoin on hand to sell to them. Right, Bitcoin's being drained uh, out of the system, like through Coinbase. Are you? Everybody saying, buys
0: Bitcoin, puts it on hardware. Are you saying right? that Bitcoin and to some extent other cryptos, but let's just for the sake of conversation, just say Bitcoin. Is, it, is Do you think Bitcoin is now part of that money movement cycle that has existed for 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 as long as you could trade money, you could trade paper.
1: Yeah, Bitcoin is for sure, and actually has been since 10k. I think the leading and most important macro asset out there. So of stocks, bonds, commodities, and currencies, Bitcoin is the most important financial instrument. And I think it's also the most important commodity in a commodity market super cycle. In other words, don't laugh. I want something tangible. (laughs) I know Bitcoin is computer code, but it is the most precious commodity out there. So it has totally shifted from this like Las Vegas style instrument to something that you just got to have.
0: I heard a crazy, 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 uh, simple explanation of why Bitcoin has value the other day. And there's something I talked about on a previous episode and, and someone explained it to me like this and said, strip everything out of what Bitcoin is. The simple fact of the matter is since the since the dawn of the internet and the dawn of computers, mathematicians have realized. Well, they're two separate things. Mathematicians have used prime prime number factoring as the basis for almost all encryption until today. It's it's the basis for our encryption. Everything we do, every password you do, and what that is 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 uh, since math has been studied, at, you know, since the Renaissance or whatever, mathematicians and early scientists have they know that. When you have a very, very, very large number and you need to break, you need to factor it down to its lowest primes, that takes our brain and computers a certain amount of time. And that amount of time to break that number, factor that number down is a finite. So like, for example, you take the number like 24 right now, it's not a prime number. So 24 is two times 12. And I could break 12, you know, down to six times two. So two times two times six. Okay. 61. It's only divisible by 60 and one by itself and one. So you take the number like seven trillion, four hundred and sixty-two billion, seven hundred and thirty-two million. you know, you just get this crazy number we can, we can know we can check. Cause it's basically, you just do, you know, that number squared minus one. And you can check if that number is a prime number in the second. And if it, if it is. We know how long it takes to actually break that down. And the, the fact that we still today don't, you know, we don't have the computing power necessary to actually do that in our brains. That is what encryption is based off of that for the first time ever. That is tokenized and that is Bitcoin. So you're, you're, you're owning a piece of digital scarcity that everyone else believes now has value. And it's, it's brilliant.
1: Right. It's not only brilliant, but it's necessary for human survival in this environment. If you cannot protect your purchasing power using Bitcoin or ETH or any cryptocurrency or any crypto asset, you cannot protect your purchasing power. You know, milk a gallon of milk at a big box retailer went from $1.87 to $279. I think if it goes from 279 to $5. The only way to keep up with that is to own Bitcoin. So not only is it mathematically wonderful, not only is it scarce, but it's actually got the power to protect the people from policy error and pandemic. And
0: we're about to go through that now, right? Like the stimulus package got a, got uh, approved today, not approved, but passed today. It'll be signed within 72 hours, 48 hours tomorrow, probably. What's what's going to happen like like from a a nonpartisan, purely economist, which you are perspective, what will happen if you look at the state of the economy that it's in today? You know, let's just say it's it's great or it's not so great, you know, wherever you believe that it is. What will happen when you print five trillion dollars, which we have done in the past year or so?
1: People are probably going to start believing that stimulus is permanent, right? Like they're going to be coming out with like a universal basic income. You know, like when's the next Star Wars movie coming out? When's the next stimulus package coming out?
0: I never thought of it that way.
1: Right. So people are going to start thinking that this is going to be an ongoing thing. It's just like, it's just like when the fed started doing quantitative easing, right? Once, once uncle sugar starts handing out candy, they keep right on doing it, right? Now, in order to do that, they've got to issue bonds. And part of the consternation last week in capital markets was- No one wants to buy them. Yeah, the Fed temporarily walked away and was like, "Uh, we're not going to buy these bonds. You're going to have to figure it out for a week or two. And that almost wrecked everything. Why did they do that? Why did the Fed do that? Yeah. Well, the Fed wanted to send a message uh, to the pork barrel spenders on Capitol Hill a reminder that you know you, you carry on you you serve at our discretion right so don't get too irresponsible now it was nice that they sent a the message but stocks would have crashed if they hadn't intervened and come back in and you know they kind of fire hosed the market which is why stocks and bitcoin went back but up. Stocks but stocks would have
0: crashed is- because they're artificially being In a way like they're they're being held up by monetary policy, essentially.
1: Right. That stocks are being held up and then stocks freaked out because long-term interest rates sky, you know, kind of did a mini rocket moon to the upside because the credibility of the US government, you know, kind of fell out of bed for like a month. So, like, you know, the Fed doesn't control long-term interest rates. You're a housing guy in Sarasota, right? Like, yeah. a 30-year mortgage hit 3% at the bottom of the last correction. Yeah. People were freaking out about higher interest rates. Higher interest rates was what helped wreck crypto in 2018. So when you saw those higher rates, everyone was like, "Oh my god, you know, the Fed's got to step in." And basically that experience leads me to believe the Fed, you know, can never back away from a bond auction. The executive branch in Congress can never back away from stimulus because people are going to expect it now on a quarterly basis, at least. So that just leaves money pumping into the system. And inflation in a textbook is defined as a prolonged and continuous rise in prices. So what financial asset do you and I love to talk about that? is capable of a prolonged and continuous rise. I hate
0: to ask a stupid question, Bill, but if, if stimulus was meant to get us out of, of a pandemic because we were already existing, we were already working, so the assumption was you were working and you couldn't work, so this got us through, but now there's an expectation of like a, the government will take care of you if shit hits the fan, and there's an expectation of that, this, it, this is like the dumbest thing. But do you think like productivity of the average American worker will just kind of go down over time and then therefore the value of the dollar? Because the dollar is a representation of the productivity of the American worker to the rest of the world, is it not?
1: It is. Or it should be. It uh, should I, be. I, I think what what's going to happen is if they continue to hand out stimulus, certain people, large numbers of people are going to be incentivized to just stay home, right? In other words, if you're unemployed, a lot of these people are making more money at home than they were at work.
0: It's the Uber effect. So so we had this problem in Florida when an unemployment, and it's one of the reasons that uh, Republicans were so against, uh, like, $500 a week because there's the, the kind of the, and it's going to go into textbooks in economic textbooks. I promise you it will call like the Uber effect during the pandemic. So Uber is the, the, the direct way to earn an income. You just turn on the app, you get in your car, which most people have, right. And you drive and you earn money. So it's like the direct economy. It's direct human capital spending. It's like, I'm human. You're human right now. We need to make money, put food on our table. We can drive Uber or Lyft or whatever. And that's our, you know, our brain power, our feet, our muscles, you know, that's our harnessing human energy into pro-social behavior. We're giving other people rides and we're earning income. It's the purest business transaction that you could possibly imagine. So now when unemployment hit $5, $500 a week, which is what the average Uber driver is making, you can't get a goddamn Uber driver anymore. You can't get an Uber. There are no more. They're staying home. They're all right. staying and, home.
1: And, and you're making and you're and you're you're making my next point. So, what are people going to have to pay? What is Uber going to have to pay people to get them back out there? They're going to have to increase wages. They're going to have to increase wages dramatically. But it doesn't to compete work with what uh, I. Well, it doesn't work for the dollar, (laughs) but it most certainly works for crypto because what they're doing is they're digging a deeper and deeper hole for the currency and the credibility of the government. And, you know, as they continue to do this and as this like crypto rally starts moving slowly, kind of from a TA point of view, you know, big, big, big rallies like 2017, they start slow, right? They creep up and then they drop. And they creep up and then they drop. And then they creep up and then they drop. And then if it's still holding, and then you've got this catalyst where they just gotta raise wages, pump money into the system and print everything. That's how you get a potentially parabolic ascent, which you know our token metrics research team is kind of expecting between now and say Memorial Day and July 4th. So they're just digging a deeper hole for themselves. And ensuring that, you know, crypto is not only for the people, but it's it can save the people from inflation and insane policies.
0: DeFi, DeFi, DeFi. You keep hearing me talk about it. And we know at the same time that the stock market is at record highs, but the economy is broken in recession. Government debt is off the charts. They're printing trillions of dollars. We need a new financial system, and I've been talking about it. We've all been talking about it, decentralized finance. We know that, too. We know that there's like $40 billion in value sitting in all these DeFi protocols, and it's barely a year old it's new decentralized finance and it's brilliant and it works and there's a lot of money to be made in things like yield farming being able to provide liquidity but a lot of them are high risk there's scams and rug pulls that are so common to investors we don't want to repeat what happened a few years ago in the crypto space but what if there was a way to access those DeFi yields in a safe and transparent way? Well, I have the CEO, Tim Frost, of Yield.app, my newest sponsor on the show. Listen to that show and check out Yield.app because here, you have this team that is constantly filtering through all these DeFi investments, they're consolidating your gas fees, and they're only investing in a select few that generate more than 20%. But their risk is not, they're not just investing in these tokens and waiting for them to do well. They're also providing liquidity, they're doing yield farming, all these low-risk, high investment to make the uh, infrastructure more efficient and better. So not only are you are investing and making money, but you're also helping to grow this ecosystem. Make sure you check them out at yield.app. That's yield.app. And listen to the untold stories with Tim Frost, the CEO. We have all these coins and tokens, and they sit on all these different blockchains, and we have to keep multiple wallets and different addresses and everything. And the only way to do it without having to do that is trust a centralized place like an exchange or a broker or an app that you use. Well, what if there was a way to do it without having to trust one different place in the ethos of crypto? Cosmos, my sponsor Cosmos, that has been around for so long, they're actually following their original roadmap and being able to offer universal wallet, high-node synchronization, inter blockchain communication, bridging Bitcoin and Ethereum together and keeping it all on one wallet, being able to build on top of it and do the coolest things possible. Make sure you check them out at Stargate.cosmos.network. You can play with all these different features. It's so cool and it's really bringing the next wave of crypto and adoption. If you really want to be ahead of everyone else and all your friends, make sure you understand the new technology that's coming out. Stargate.cosmos.network. You're going to love it. Previously, Bitcoin and crypto was a speculative asset against what we talked about. People would see it on the news and it was largely small amounts. But now that it's part of this monetary money cycle, and I kind of want to see if you can explain to our listeners what, what that cycle actually is. But now that it's part of that, Assuming monetary policy is not going to change over the next eight years in a drastic way, why would we have bear markets in, in Bitcoin or crypto? Like, why would they? What could create bear markets? Like, interest rates going up, like you say, was the reason 2018 was the end of that. And I agree with that. Uh, but do you think we'll see major parabolic bull markets and then bear markets in the future? Or is this market maturing?
1: Okay, so this is a great question. So it's funny that I'm answering a lot of questions about what does the bear market look like when uh, I don't think the parabolic part of the bull
0: market has. I know I'm new. scared though. I need I need it to you last know, like, past <laughs> August because I've capital long term capital gains kick in in July. So if we can get it to August, <laughs> I'm in good shape.
1: You know, my father was a <laughs> stockbroker from 1974 to 2000, and. You know, he, he had a saying, he's like, when everyone asks me when I should buy, sell. Yeah. And when everybody says, when should I sell, buy. Mm. So I, I do think we got a lot left on this bull market. And then the way bull markets hurt people, in quotes, is that they sneak up on you and they go way farther than you think, like 2017, and then I don't know that you're going to see another like 90% vortex like 2018. It was
0: 80, yeah, 80, 90% drawdown in some coin. It was crazy. Right.
1: But the, the pain trade that occurs in bull markets once the top is in is wild volatility. Right. Like right now, everything is seemingly orderly, particularly in Bitcoin because of like Michael Saylor and all these big buyers are. Are making it almost like equities price action, but once a bear trend or a, a correct a real correction comes, you're probably going to have big cryptos swinging in a forty percent range, and I would guess that the catalyst for something like that um, would have to be you know the Fed jams on the brakes and says we're not buying bonds anymore. Oh, well, that's unlikely. Or the SEC has to come out and say something like defi governance tokens are effectively securities. Hmm. I don't think they have a legal leg to stand on on that. We published on that today, but you know, never underestimate the government's ability to come in and put a monkey wrench into works. Yeah. They feel that the rise in crypto is embarrassing them. Because the rise in crypto is everybody going thumbs down on fiat and central banks.
0: If Wall Street so there are a lot of like crypto raises that are happening in the last like 90 days. Interestingly enough, being announced, details being announced, but these raises happened in the past six months during the Trump administration, but now they're really being announced during the Biden administration. There's a lot of people that say that like Wall Street wanted and elected Biden. And if you look at that being true, is it safe to say that Wall Street wants Bitcoin and crypto, which I believe that. And therefore, like the Biden administration should be a lot friendlier to it because that's what Silicon Valley and Wall Street wants.
1: Yeah, I think the the short answer is yes, right? Uh, Wall Street knows that they can't call regulators anymore and say, stop crypto. It's a
0: good Decentralized point.
1: Decentralized finance, meaning, you know, Bitcoin decentralized money. Token metrics, we work a lot on a theme where all of finance is going to become decentralized. Trading, derivatives, leverage, margin, borrowing, paying interest. You go to a bookstore, you buy a 500-page finance textbook. That is all going to be decentralized. That is all going to be on a blockchain. And Wall Street knows it. They're a centralized group. So they have to, they, they want crypto to mature so they can figure out how to participate. And the way they participate is they, they're probably going to be a bridge for capital to go from a centralized world into a decentralized finance system. How big does it need right. to
0: be for them to think it's mature? Because it's still very small. The whole industry is less than a trillion dollars.
1: Look, there's, there's, I I remember last year when everyone was like, oh my God, there's 9 billion locked up in DeFi. Is it a bubble? I'm like, 9 billion? You know, the Fed flosses its teeth with 9 billion, right? They're printing 120 billion a month. So, you know, decentralized finance has now got about 40 billion locked up. Bitcoin has a $1 trillion market cap. The equity market is like 15 trillion. NASDAQ is bigger than all other stock markets on the planet combined. Wow! So there is no reason why total crypto market cap can't go to five.
0: The whole world is moving to decentralized finance. Decentralized finance has is the killer app that wall street and the rest of the world needed to sink their teeth into this in order to like really see it's, Future and value proposition because sending payments from one person to another was just one segment of people. But now, with decentralized finance, it, every person in the whole entire world has some interaction with the financial world at some point in their lives, whether it be getting a car loan to a mortgage to a student loan, you're involved in the financial world. And through decentralized finance and by listening to untold stories, And subscribing to Token Metrics, there's the plug. That's how you can learn about how to do that. And on that note, a lot of the listeners uh, are always asking me like questions, like what are the qualities of a good trader? What are some actionable things that you can look out for that you can trade off of? Um, and I always say like, I'm a bad trader because I'm a very emotional person, but my friend, Phil, I talk to all the time he's been in, in crypto a very long time and he, it can day trade. He can day trade Bitcoin now. And I remember for years, the swings, even the one or 2% swings, weren't big enough to trade, to make any money off of it. But now when you have normal daily swings of two, $3,000, you can actually make money day trading off of, off of Bitcoin and, and crypto.
1: Yeah. I mean, I think there's a couple ways to trade right if you're if you're starting out the best thing you can do is to just get a position on and it will laser focus your mind on the price action so you can say gee i want to get involved in crypto or gee i want to trade but you don't have to you don't learn until you have a position now in terms of like what the best way to trade is that's You know, that's a big question.
0: Okay, wait, wait. Before In this
1: in this, good.
0: No, I was gonna say, like, oh, it's to take a position. That's the first that's that's very great, actionable advice. Like that's most people don't even take that advice. They're studying the markets for a very long time. So like even a small position, a hundred dollars, just a position.
1: Right. In other words, in order to trade or invest or have a portfolio. You've got to understand how Bitcoin moves, what makes it move, right? Because that's different than it ever has been. Mainly because Bitcoin is not only a currency, it's not only a phenomenon, but it's now collateral. It's the collateral of the DeFi system, oh, wraps Bitcoin. Yes, and, and that makes Bitcoin as powerful as US government treasury debt was back in the 80s. That's how the legacy financial system was built on the risk free rate on the supply of treasury bonds. Now, DeFi is built with Bitcoin as collateral, and that makes it more powerful than anyone really understands. So, if you take a Bitcoin position, if you take a position in ETH, you know, you maybe pick up some Litecoin, just to say, example of how an altcoin would move. And then experiment with something like, I don't know, compound or Bancor or something in the or Uniswap, something in the DeFi space, just so you can follow what 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 kind of moves it makes, when it moves, Uh, if does it move with the stock market or does it move, you know, on a lag? You know, if you read Coindesk or any newsletter you know, our work, your group's work. It's not going to mean anything unless you could connect it back to the position you have. Ah, And then you need to learn how to manage your emotions. And at the moment you realize that you need to manage your emotions because it went against you, right? Then you'll probably pick up some sort of TA book and start to build your own system in your mind for approaching markets. It's
0: brilliant. It's brilliant. It's brilliant. You connect your own dots. You create your own patterns. Is what you're saying. You cre- because our brains work so differently. You're looking back to the factoring of prime numbers. Every brain is gonna try to do it in an extremely different way. We are all completely different. So if you can figure out a way, it's like that that move that Netflix movie about chess. Queen's Gambit. She was able to connect in her brain in a certain way. So what you're saying is. Simply taking a small position and then watching or trading off your position based on the information that you're reading and learning every single day will teach you how to become a better trader. That is the best advice I've ever heard. Well,
1: thank you. I appreciate that once upon a time at wall street, uh, I heard of a, a head trader who gave rookie traders a small amount of capital and their instructions for the first three weeks were lose money on purpose. What? So what all, all the rookie traders would do is <laughs> when everyone was buying, they would like be like, okay, well, if everyone's buying and I need to lose money on purpose, I'll sell. Mm. And when everybody is selling, I'll lose money on purpose and I'll just close my eyes and buy.
0: Oh my God, this is so cool.
1: And the next thing you know, the rookie trader in, in a month after trying to quote, lose money on purpose learned how to kind of go against the grain and find opportunities and you know i tell people this you know you need to bet a very small amount of money people are like oh yeah i want to get in i want to do it but then it moves 6% yeah it's not like equities right it moves 10% and even if it's a small amount like people get upset mm. like you need to measure how upset you get when it happens and then you need to remember that the only way to learn trading is to lose money. Hopefully, it's just a little bit. Yeah. And if you lose money, you have something in common with the greatest traders in the world. Because even the greatest traders in the world have lost money. And a lot of them have lost big or blown up at one point in their career. Now, we would prefer our Token Metrics, you don't blow up, right? Listen to us, listen to Charlie, right?
0: Use our but- blow-ups as your examples, Cause we've all blown up so many times before. Right.
1: Right. right. That's why, that's why we're on the air. Sure, right. Yeah. In other words, there's also this thing of, you know, getting involved, helps solve yet another problem. Right. I like to tell people you're not too late. You're not too early. You're right on time. People are like, Oh my God, Bitcoin's at 60 K.
0: I missed it. No,
1: no, no, you haven't. You haven't missed anything. Like, ETH hasn't even gotten started yet.
0: Look at percentages. You know.
1: Yeah. Yeah. I mean, look at all the institutions that are eventually going to have to buy Bitcoin. What's going to happen to Bitcoin when Apple has to get involved and Microsoft?
0: There's a chart somewhere. And if you look at. Your, when you, people look at a number and they look at the price of, of Bitcoin, they look at that number from, from day one of when it started. But in the stock market or anything, our basis is when we got in. Because we don't look at where it was or where it could go, we just look. It's like okay, so I bought, you know, I don't know, what, I bought ber- Berkshire Hathaway a thousand dollars. I don't know whatever it's trading at now. Let's just say, isn't that like that's that's the that's the stock that trades at like a hundred thousand dollars a share or something, like, right? R- right. Yeah. So let's just right. say I got in a hundred k and I got one share. I'm not like oh my god I got in at a hundred k. It's like okay now I'm getting in at this price, which kind of leads me to my next question. We always, for the past 10 years, we looked at Bitcoin and and crypto as like an all or nothing. Started from zero and here it is now. All we go from like the non-fiat world, the fiat world, which was everything, which was U.S. treasuries, equities, stocks, bonds, uh, unsecured debt, M2 money supply, cash, coins, everything. And then there was just crypto. But now there's this like cycle. And that we kind of, allude, we've been alluding to it over the course of the show. What has that like cycle? And, and from what people explain it to me, it's like when equities go up, treasuries go down. And then when one goes up, the other goes down. And it's like, it's not a perfect, you know, contrasting relation, uh, relationship, but there's, there's a cycle of money that, that kind of moves uh, as long as it's staying within, you know, onshore, assuming. What, what was that cycle before? And, and, and do you think crypto is part of that now?
1: Yes, crypto is a legitimate part of the financial system, so I'll do it in two parts. So once upon a time, here's what worked in markets. You would get long stocks, or institutions would get long stocks, okay, and then they would get levered long, a smaller amount of bonds. Figuring if there was ever a repeat in 2008 and stocks dropped, Bonds would go up because people would flock to the safe haven because they were levered long bonds. They would be protected against the drop in stocks, right? And way back when it used to be considered a good thing when the dollar went lower, right? The dollar went lower, meaning people liked emerging market currencies. People were willing to speculate in markets overseas. It made us goods more competitive. So, you know, stocks up with a bond hedge and dollar lower was a good
0: thing. It's like when the dollar is lower, the U.S. and its goods are going on sale and people would want to buy it a little bit more because it's a temporary right, thing. Right,
1: and people want to play in overseas markets. So, you know, it's a it's a general measure of health of the speculative fires, okay? So now the Fed has bought the entire corporate bond. They bought the entire junk bond market they printed 6 trillion between 08 and 2019 and when the pandemic hit they printed 3.6 trillion in march of 2020 and they're doing about 120 billion a month now and that's indefinite now the new cycle is a little bit different right it's dollar probably perma lower and The destination for the speculative juices isn't necessarily overseas markets, it's crypto. And then there's the cycle that not a lot of people talk about. It's called the commodity market super cycle. Like, notice gasoline has gone up at the pump. Mm. Take a look at a copper chart, rubber, coal, you know, China has bought more ethanol from the United States in two months than they did all of last year. Commodities are hot. And what is the most valuable commodity of all? Here's a hint. What does the CFTC consider Bitcoin? A commodity. A digital commodity. Hmm. So when someone says, oh, yeah, Bitcoin's digital gold. That's it. That's all they say. Well, I say Bitcoin is a digital commodity and $10,000 a month research houses are telling people, and so is the price action, that we are currently in a commodity market super cycle. Now, last super cycle, oil went from 50 to 100 or 140. When oil was at 50, Goldman came out. I remember the analyst came out and said oil was going to 100. They accused us of trying to pump and dump the price. They, they said it was false. It was just headline news. The guy was, everyone said it was crazy. Oil wound up at 140 along the lines of, you know, trends last longer than you think. Well, the new oil in the new super cycle is crypto. It's the commodity you gotta have. So everyone's chasing toilet paper and Winchester ammo and it's crypto that you need for your survival.
0: Assuming Satoshi foresaw all this and he created the scarcity, every other commodity is only like artificially scarce or it's scarce because it's a certain amount of energy required to bring it out of the ground or whatever. But there's virtual unlimited supply of it. You know, there is limited, they say, but, you know, Earth and asteroids and other planets, we have, you know, a lot of natural resources. But Bitcoin, we don't. So what happens? Like, what happens, essentially?
1: Well, here's what's easy about Bitcoin. It doesn't cost a lot to store. Um, It's easy to speculate in. And if you have it in your PayPal account, you can keep up with the price of groceries and goods. And, so, and you
0: don't need anyone's permission to own it. And you, you don't, you, it theoretically can't be seized from you depending on how right. you're And in the past,
1: commodity market super cycles have hurt consumers. Remember $4 gas? That killed people. Now, once you tell people that you don't need $57,000 to buy Bitcoin, that you can buy a partial amount, which is the kind of the aha moments I have with people, they go, Wow, you mean I can I can get involved? I'm like, yeah. You know, I'm like, so I want it, to it's a commodity it's a commodity people can benefit from when it rises.
0: Could you see could you see a universal basic income type of system in the US where the US is like let's just say we use USD, you know, let's just say USD becomes a digital currency and it's on a blockchain and the M2, is it the, is it the M1 that's the, that's the representation of, of the physically printed and, and money in our bank accounts? Is that M1 or M2? I always confuse it. Money supply, I always, I always forget. Let's just say there's like, you can check Etherscan or, not, or like blockchain or whatever, and you can see the supply of all the dollars in existence in, in a perfect world. Could you see like a system where governments are giving us interest to keep up with like an inflation on chain? It could be super cool, but at the same time, like a, a spiral of negativity. Right.
1: So this is, this is the question. It's, it's a crazy. great question. So here's what Uncle Sam's going to do, right? Instead of food stamps, Medicaid, stimulus, you know, aid for families with dependent children, aid for mothers with small, small kids, let's try something different. They're gonna try like FedCoin, and FedCoin is gonna be in a wallet. And instead of it only being good for food, you'll be able to buy certain staples with it. So you'll be able to buy a car, uh, diapers, food—you know, things that you need to live. Not a Versace, you know, not Gucci, but staples, pots and pans, and dollar coin will become universal basic income they'll just transfer it to your wallet and then instead of getting unemployment and medicare yeah. and medicaid and dealing with all the red tape they'll just make sure everybody can get food rent or at least food medicine and supplies
0: but right? where is that where is that coming from because well they're that that assumes that the workers at the top and the middle are paying for the social net of the bottom, but it doesn't work when you don't have a middle. And then the top revolts because the top only stays. The 1% is staying because the middle is there. But when the middle class goes away, the 1% is not going to give their money to the, to the social, to the lower class anymore. That's the biggest problem I think that we have with modern day democracy that, that we're living in right now is that it's easy to blame the super rich and then take from them to give to the poor. But in reality, it's the middle. It's the, it's, it's the, you know, on a scale from one to 10, it's the people between two and seven that are the ones that are doing, that are the workhorses of the country. And those are the ones, those people are the ones who have less now. The, ha- the, st- the lowest have-nots have, and the highest haves have more, but the middle that kind of had, have a lot fucking less. That's most of my family.
1: Totally true.
0: It sucks. How do we fix it? the,
1: The people at the top, you know, they storm the Capitol. If they storm the Capitol, they can storm Rodeo Drive. You have people unemployed and hungry long enough, like this storm in Texas, like I watched society crack for a week here in San Antonio for a week right as in like no food no water people out looking for firewood sticks to burn for for heat i i watched society dissolve and the top 1% the top 10% politicians they they don't want that right they they don't want that and, and you can't tax them enough For universal basic income if you're going to print don't print for 1.9 trillion dollars in pork print to a digital wallet in people's phone so that there's some kind of social safety net for people like say with children
0: and it's equal
1: right it's equal like you know dollar coin might go to everybody there there wouldn't be this whole thing about you know they're going exactly. to have to Exactly, it wouldn't
0: matter skills. if you're black, white or anything. It it would be a digital identity, so it would be completely equal.
1: Yes, it would be completely equal and it would be good for services you know that people need. And of course, you know, if they were smart, they'd make it transferable into crypto so that people could figure out how to keep up with inflation for themselves. So I mean, you 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 provide a social safety net for people You know, you don't disincentivize them to work. But UBI is inevitable. UBI is going to be endorsed by the top 1% because they don't want people with pitchforks storming their house. They don't.
0: You're right. I think the moral of the story is you have to have the knowledge. You have to have the the guts and the physical ability to go out and use the tools to create your own sovereign wealth and your own family's empire. You have to do it yourself and you cannot rely. I'm not saying it's not that the government's bad. You know, we just sat here saying that UBI will be is inevitable. But at the end of the day, you cannot rely on that. You need to build and grow your own empire. And the hour we need to be incentivized to do so. Bill, I, I want to take the last second that we have. And can you tell us uh, how people can sign up to your newsletter, watch your content online? Can you throw some links out and we'll have them in the show notes as well? Sure. So you can
1: go to tokenmetrics.com and sign up for a variety of plans. Um, you know, we've got lower end plans that give us access to our newsletters and our data. Uh, And then we've got premium groups that provide access to me and Ian Bellina directly. You know, our, our data platforms help you use AI and machine learning to find coins that are interesting and also build portfolios so you can be diversified, right? Like, you know, once you get done learning Bitcoin and Ethereum, you might want to branch out, have other, have other cryptos and tokenmetrics.com allows you to sign up for, you know, we're publishing every day, plus the AI and you guys have been around for a while site. Which is great. Right. And then, you know, for the people, there's YouTube.com slash tokenmetrics and our Sunday live stream every Sunday night at six Eastern, where me and Ian just get on and have conversations like this. Oh, I need to
0: join one of those. That sounds like fun.
1: Yeah, to, to help people get on board. Because like you said, I, I have people calling me of a wide variety of incomes. Yeah. My brother, people who work at Apple, they're like, you know what? Inside my gut, I know I need to get involved.
0: But they don't know right. how or they're I, nervous or everything. Right, yeah. they're like,
1: yeah, how, how do I get involved? Well, you know, you can start on our YouTube channel. And if you go to tokenmetrics.com and sign up, then you'll immediately start getting newsletters and educational information. Token Metrics Academy is coming out soon. So, you know, you'll be able to take a course.
0: Can't wait. I can't wait to join your live stream. Bill Noble, thank you so much for coming on Untold Stories. This was an, this was the longest This is the longest recording we've I've done on my show in probably a month. Thank you so much for doing that. That that's a testament to to the knowledge and the and the data you gave to my listeners. Thank you, my friend. Charlie, thanks for having me.